Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, I would imagine if you looked back over your life, you can think of several instances, maybe more, where you were absolutely right about something. And I would imagine that you could also look back over your life and think of some very embarrassing times when you knew that you were wrong. But my big question for us today is, can you be wrong and right at the same time? Can you be right and wrong at the same time? Any of you that have ever had a discussion with your spouse about a memory that you shared probably already knows the answer to this question. I'm thinking of someone's coming up on a 30th wedding anniversary and a friend casually asks them, how'd you guys meet? And he says, well, it was at this, uh, you know, we had a mutual friend that uh, introduced us, and, uh, but you didn't like me at first. And then she chimes in and goes, no, 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 I liked you plenty. We didn't like the place that we met at. And he says, that's not where we met. It was this other place. And then the friend who asked the question slowly starts backing away. And some, all of us have either experienced our own parents doing this, or, or maybe you have done this with your spouse or friend in some way or another. You can be wrong and right at the same time. Just this last weekend, we were uh, visiting some friends of ours in Nebraska, and uh, I've known, this is a, a seminary classmate of mine, close friend. We talk every week, uh, sermon things, and give each other ideas and feedback and help kind of sharpen each other up. And... Um, for the life of me, I've known this guy for 15 years. I thought he was a twin. And I was totally wrong. <laughs> I had him confused with somebody. I'd never met any of his siblings or anything, but I was totally wrong. And then that had us talking about, somebody mentioned, like, is there such a thing as identical triplets? So I'm going to survey you guys right now. I was convinced. No, I won't tell you what I thought first. Okay? So how many of you think identical triplets is totally a thing? All right, how many of you think, nope, it's not possible? Oh, okay, we got one in the back. All right, well, it turns out I thought it was not possible. <laughs> so I was in the minority in this group right now. I thought it was not possible, and so I was wrong, but you know what the odds are of identical triplets? One in 30 million. One in 30 million. So I was kind of trying to tell myself, well, I was kind of right, <laughs> even though I was wrong probably not the best example. Years back when I was in college, though, a much more serious example than kind of the, the sillier ones that we think of, I was talking with my uh, godfather who was really struggling. His mom had, was having some major health issues, and he was really angry at God. And in my uh, college education, youthful exuberance, I wanted to explain to him why he shouldn't be so angry at God. And I remember him having some choice words for me about how I didn't know anything about anything. And, you know, technically, probably the things that I said were not untrue, but he was totally right. I was wrong, right? I was wrong to do anything other than listen to him and give sympathy to what he was experiencing. So can you be right and wrong at the same time? I think we know the answer 
is yes. And that's a frustrating thing to acknowledge, although that's the point of my illustrations was for us to acknowledge that that dynamic exists, because we'd prefer either being right or wrong. We would like very clear distinctions in our lives of times that we are right versus when we are wrong. And all of us at some level have this deep need to be right about most things most of the time. And I'm not saying that as a criticism of you and me specifically like, oh, we're self-righteous or something. I'm just saying for human beings, like there is a real uh, discordance in our minds and our hearts if we actually think that we're wrong about too many things. So in order kind of just to go through life without being completely depressed or completely disjointed about ourselves, we need to have this assumption that we're mostly right most of the time. I mean, when you think back on your life, You want to think that most of the choices that you made, most of the things that you valued were the right things to do. Not not that you were perfect. Nobody wants to give themselves any of these delusions, but that mostly I've done the right things. And if that's thrown into chaos for you, who knows? When we have a, a form an opinion of someone in our life, especially someone like I'm thinking my friend I thought was a twin, right? You want to think that you generally have a grasp of what is going on and that you understand other people a certain way. And, oh, I know what kind of person that is. I, I have a good read on people, right? I have a high emotional quotient or something like this. And then if that is thrown out, what else am I totally unsure of? In our culture right now, especially in kind of the political climate, this is such a driving force. We are so afraid of being wrong about anything, about having our minds changed. Because it's not just that thing that I'm kind of critically assessing. What else does it say about me? How wrong am I? And so we have this need, I think, most of the time, and I'm not just saying as Christians, I'm saying as human beings, we have this need to feel that we are mostly right most of the time. And the idea that even when we're right, we could be wrong is an intolerable thing for us. We do not want to live in that space. Well, God's word that Rich just read for us today is a moment in time when St. Peter gets it right. I mean, we want to just bask in that glory with him for just a moment. He's having a moment, you guys. And if you know Peter's story, this is pretty important for him. So Jesus is asking the disciples really the only question that matters in life. You know, I don't really care what your diet or exercise is, what your politics are, um, your opinion of sports teams, what you think about the weather, although we talk about it all the time. The only thing that matters is what Jesus brings up in our text today. Who am I? right? Who's Jesus? And he starts it by asking, who are people saying that I am? And you know, whenever we do a new member class, this is kind of the the first question that I do with people is, you know, what do people say about Jesus? What are people saying about him? Let's, let's investigate. Let's not be afraid of what people are saying. What do they actually say? And, and the disciples give Jesus all these different answers, right? Well, they have all these different opinions. Elijah's back from the dead. Something else is going on. And then Jesus turns the question back to them. He says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, boldly, with absolute confidence, steps up and speaks on behalf of the rest of the guys, And he says, you are the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the son of the living 
God. Ding, 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 ding. A plus, Peter, you've got it right. And Jesus even says it. He says, on this confession, I will build my church. That's what it means that Christ is the cornerstone, that we would know who he is and why he has come and what he plans to do with all creation and with you and me. That's what matters. And Peter gets it right. And don't you just want to bask in the glory with Peter for just a little bit of time? When you finally get something right in your own life, don't you just want to sit there for just a little while? Well, if we stop there, and this is no fault of riches because we gave him the text to read, but we stop there in the reading today, but that's not where Matthew's gospel actually stops. Because then Jesus goes on to explain to Peter and the disciples, this is what it means that I'm the Messiah. This is what the Son of God came to do. I will be handed over to the authorities, arrested, put on a sham trial. They will beat me. They will crucify me, and I will die. And on the third day, I will be raised. And Peter, in an instant, says, No! You can't, you can't do that. That's not my picture of what the Messiah is supposed to be. And you know, what, what does Jesus say to him right in that moment when Peter, I, I know we didn't read the text, but some of you probably know, what does Jesus call Peter in that moment? Satan, right? You could say it with Dana Carvey if you want to, right? With the church lady from Saturday Night Live. Never mind, okay? Satan. Right? He says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, I would like to think, if I'm Peter, that this moment I got it right, and then a few minutes later I got it wrong. But you and I know what's going on here. In the midst of getting it right, Peter's getting it wrong. And Jesus doesn't take that away from him. He doesn't say, well, you were wrong, therefore you're wrong about everything else. Right? He, in that moment, he says what is true about Jesus, but he, he doesn't even have in mind fully what that means. And that's okay for Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't need Peter or you and me to be mostly right about most things in our lives. We're not burdened with that expectation from the Lord. And so Peter, even though he is right, he is also wrong in the same moment. And it's too bad for Peter that he can't just bask in the glory because we know from the story about Peter that he's wrong an awful lot of the time. And it's unfortunate for him. You and I don't typically have everybody else a written record, although with the internet, I, feel, I fear more and more for kids that grow up as social media age. But most of us don't have our entire, I'm so glad my high school years were not reflected in social media right now. But most of us don't have that. But Peter does. We get it cataloged. All of the things that he does wrong. He steps out in faith onto the water, his eyes fixed on Jesus, and then he gets uh, frightened by the wind and the waves and he looks away and gets it wrong. Uh, Jesus has a crowd of people out in the wilderness, 4,000 of them, and Peter goes, what are we supposed to do for all these people? Wrong. He just fed 5,000, Peter. Were you not there? Right? Then they go up the mountain. Jesus takes James, Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and he is transfigured before their eyes. And Moses and Elijah appear there talking with Jesus. And Peter, who is always bold, puts his foot in his mouth immediately and says, Jesus, this is awesome. Let's build some tents up here. We'll start a tent ministry and people can come up to us. Wrong. 
The father from heaven says, this is my son, listen to him. In other words, shut your mouth, Peter. Something as greater is happening here. Don't step in it. Again, he gets it wrong. Uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he thinks he's got something really gracious and really right. He says, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? It's pretty gracious. Wrong. Seventy times seven times, Peter. Little kids come to Jesus. People are bringing little children, like our preschoolers that I mentioned at the beginning of service, to, to Jesus. But, you know, they don't help you with strategic planning. They're not that great. They're pretty needy. And so Peter and the disciples say, shoo them away. Wrong, Jesus says. The kingdom of God belongs to these, to such as these. You know, at the end of the gospel stories, and really the beginning of our own story. Peter gets it as wrong as he can get it, even more wrong than being called Satan, if you could believe that, because he denies even knowing Christ. Three different times he gets it wrong. I don't even know the man, he says. Peter is wrong so much of the time. Wouldn't it be nice for him to just bask in this one moment of rightness? But see, Peter does not need to be right most, about most things most of the time. And neither do you and I. We do not need to be right about most things most of the time. But could we handle being so wrong so much of the time? You know, when you hit that time in life where things just seem to be kind of so chaotic or, or feel like you've making too many turns the wrong way and you say, what if I've been wrong about everything? What if I've been wrong about everything? It's like existential crisis for us. And so when we're tabulating these right and wrong moments, it's too much, too much for us to bear. You know, in Peter's life, that question, what if I've been wrong about everything, is a terrifying question before the resurrection, right? Leading up to the crucifixion, it's terrifying. I mean, all those examples that I gave you of, of him, him being wrong, that's a terrifying place to be. But after the resurrection, after Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, that, that question, what if I've been wrong about everything for Peter, is not terrifying, it's liberating. He doesn't have to be right about everything. And so he goes, the Spirit leads him and the disciples out into the world through the book of Acts. Now, he doesn't get it perfect in the book of Acts. It's not like in Matthew's gospel, we tabulate all his wrongs, and then in Acts, we tabulate all his rights. Instead, Peter's free from tabulating, Period. And so when people bring him to trial, he says, what am I supposed to do, obey God or man? Right? When someone wants to bow down and worship him, he says, no, no, I'm not the person that you're, that's, that's healed you here. Jesus Christ is the one who has given you life and new life in him. Peter can say that he is, just like St. Paul does, we, we preach not ourselves, but Christ and him crucified. That's freedom. Freedom from having to be right. And this is the freedom that God gives to you and me as well. The burden of having to be right about a lot of different things is off of our backs. And think about what, that, what the implications are for your life and your relationships with others. We're actually free to be wrong. We're actually free to be wronged, need be, so that Christ and him crucified can be the only thing that matters, the only thing on our lips. Like St. Paul says, let God be true and every man 
a liar. It sounds terrifying until it is freeing for you and me. I want to end the sermon today with a, uh, a song. Now, I know this is risky because I might really like these artists and you guys might be like, why, do we, why are we being subjected to this? So <laughs> I apologize if you don't dig the music. Uh, this is a song uh, by a band called The Oh Hellos. And what I want you to do, if you enjoy the song, great. And you can look up more of their tunes on your own. Uh, but at the very least, I want you to look at the lyrics as they sing. And I want to give you a little um, heads up as to what they're singing about. This is a song that is being sung from the perspective of Adam and Eve after the fall. Uh, And the title of the song is I Was Wrong. So we're going to listen to that and I got one more thing to say about it after it's done.
It's a beautiful, uh, powerful retelling of Adam and Eve, but you'll notice what I really wanted us to see at the end there. I mean, the poetics are beautiful, but at the end there, notice that they were wrong, obviously, to disobey God, but what they were even more wrong about was that God would not forgive them. So what does it mean for us when Jesus can show us that we are wrong and he is right? How does that turn from terror into freedom for you and me? How does the Spirit impact our lives and our relationships with others through that? This is the flip of Jesus' kingdom. And it turns out that I can be wrong and God can make all things right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.